Have you ever thought why you even put up Christmas lights at your house? You do it, maybe. <laughs> we had a neighbor one time that uh, they, they took the easy way out. They had a cutout of the Grinch and they put one line on the bottom portion of their house and the rest of it just went right down in a big clump right to the Grinch like he was stealing their Christmas lights. It's actually pretty genius, but I, you know, it's, it's genius, but kind of lazy as well. But the, the point is, why do you put up lights? It's the why. What's the point? I want to hear an answer. Why do you do it? They're pretty. What else? Tradition. Good. What else? Anybody ever go driving around looking at lights? Our family does. We make it a, tra a tradition out of it. We go around and we find those neighborhoods that go all out and we, we go and look at the lights. Why? It's attractive. There's something about it, right? That draws our attention. It draws our eyes in, right? So thinking about why we do that. What about putting lights on your tree? Number one, ever thought about why we bring in foliage from outside into the house and then decorate it? You ever thought about that? Tradition of that? The history of that? Some say that it actually dates back to Martin Luther. The Martin Luther. So they say, historically speaking, there's no actual factual proof, but that he is the one that started that tradition of putting candles on little stands and putting them on the branches of his tree. Not so safe, but that's the tradition. But that as the electric light developed, then we would decorate our trees with light. But why? What's the point of that? Anybody ever light candles around the house during Christmas? More often at Christmas or, or holidays or otherwise, maybe just for atmosphere, or maybe you do it for the Advent candles or, or whatever it might be. Think about why we do those things. But what if you're putting up lights, you ever get to that point where you just get after it with a staple gun and you're putting up lights all over the place and you plug in the lights and nothing gone through all that work or half a line is completely out or you ever try to light a candle that just won't light because the the, the wick is just not long enough or, or whatever else is that the bulb's fault no the bulb is just a shell right a colored shell that illuminates the light there's something else wrong with it it could be maybe that filament inside the bulb Maybe it's not connected properly, or maybe the electricity, or, or maybe you went a little too wild with the staple gun and, and put a hole, hole right into the line, you know, damaging the wires inside or whatever it might be. But there's usually a deeper problem, and sometimes it's the bulb. And what do you do? Take the bulb out, toss it, put a new one in, and hopefully the light comes on. You ever have those lines where you put a bulb at the end the whole line is out, but if you replace one bulb or remove one bulb, the entire line goes out. You ever had that happen too? Okay. So what do you do with a bulb that won't glow? What's the purpose of it? Do you hang on to them? No. Throw them away. Or like my son asks all the time, can I break it, Dad? Because it's kind of cool when you break a, a Christmas bulb or a light bulb that has that pop, right, an explosion. I always say no, but then I always take it out and go do it myself because I like to break the bulbs. <laughs> it's fun. It's a guy thing. Sorry, son. It's a guy thing. But here's the, here's the point. What do you do with a bulb that won't glow? What do you do with a candle that won't burn? 
Is there purpose to hanging on to them? No, not really. So that's kind of where we're going to be this morning, in a sense, to kind of set that up in a way. We're going to talk through a couple stories this morning from Scripture that hopefully illuminate that idea of what we're talking about. But we're also going to talk a little bit about being battle ready. Getting ready for the battle, ready for the war. So, weapons check. What do you typically look for when you step onto a field of battle? You've seen enough movies. Maybe if we have any soldiers or former soldiers in the room, we know what we're talking about. But if we don't, you've seen enough TV shows and movies. What are we looking for? Weapons. They're locked and loaded. You have the right ammo. They're clean. You have everything else that you need in case you have to go to battle and use those things, and they need to be ready to go. You're trained and ready, right, when you step onto that battle. Are you ready? In this sense, do you have your light? So let's start by looking at a great story from the uh, victory, a story of victory from Judges chapter 7. If you want to turn there, go for it. Some of the scripture might be up on the screen behind me. But Judges chapter 7. This is the story of Gideon. But maybe not the more famous story of Gideon that you're aware of, where God chooses him. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but... Moreover, when Gideon takes his army into battle. So as we take a look at Gideon and the defeat of the Midianites. So after the Lord made Gideon commander of the army, Gideon initially had a response. Gideon was just working in the field. Gideon, for all intents and purposes, was just a Joe Schmo out working, doing his thing as he was supposed to do according to his family. But when God called him back in Judges 6, he says his response is, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? How can I save Israel? Because my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. I'm a nobody. How in the world are you going to use me to save the entire nation of Israel? And the Lord simply said to him, I will be with you. That's all he needed to hear. I will be with you. And so the Lord directed him to get an army together, and 32,000 men come together to form an army for Gideon. And God said, that's too many. And over time, he whittled that army down to 300. 300 soldiers to go up against the Midianites that were hundreds of thousands strong. It's defined in scripture as like the sands of the sea between their, their army and their tents and their camels and other, everything that they had and, and whatever else is like innumerable. But he whittled the army down to 300 because when the Lord's in control, you don't need thousands and thousands of people. When God's in control and when God promises, I will be with you, we can trust in that and that should be enough. He may use, and he has used thousands upon thousands. He's used armies, hundreds of thousands of people before to accomplish his will, but he'll also use simply the few that are willing. Think about David versus Goliath. Think about Samson versus the Philistines. One man willing to be used by God that says, I will go forward and defeat a giant, defeat an army. Now we look at Gideon and his army of 300 Versus what scripture defines about 135,000 Midianites. 
How do you like those odds? 300 versus 135,000. So let's take a look at Judges 7 if you're there. We're going to uh, go down to verse 9. Starting in verse 9, let's read a couple of verses and then we'll kind of uh, summarize a little bit what's going on. It says, That same night the Lord said to him, Gideon, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So here God is telling him again, he already told him when he called him to become the commander of the army, I will be with you. And now he's telling him again, go on down to the camp. I have given the Midianites into your hand. So two times the Lord promised him victory. But Gideon was a little unsure. Let's not hold that against him. 300 against 135,000. Would you be a little unsure in our human ways? So he says, okay, I'm going to go down to the camp. I'm going to hear what's going on. And basically summarize in, in, in verses um, uh, 12 through 15, he goes down and the Lord basically allows a conversation to, to, to take place between two Midianites. And Gideon and his servant are there to overhear this conversation. And basically, one of the Midianites is telling his, his colleague or his you know, friend or whoever, saying, I had a dream. And in this dream, I had a barley, a, a barley or wheat rolled down into the camp and it hit the tent and the tent completely flipped over and fell down flat. And so I have no idea what that means. And so the Lord allowed this friend to interpret that dream. And he basically said, that is the son of Joash, Gideon. That is a representation of him coming in against us and defeating us. The Lord has given us into his hands. So somehow the Lord allowed the Midianites to already know that Gideon was going to attack and Gideon was going to have the victory. So here Gideon and his servant Pura hear this conversation. And at that moment, we pick up in verse 15. It says, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. Prior to victory, prior to anything else happening. So on the third occasion of hearing that they were going to be victorious against this army, Gideon worships. It says, and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies. And he put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars and torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, which is midnight. When they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hand the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. 
So here's what happens. Weapons check. Gideon says, here's a trumpet, or in this case, it's actually what's known as a ram's horn or shofar. Here's a jar with a torch. So you 300, divide yourself into three companies of 100 each, take your jar, torch, and a trumpet, and go and defeat an army of 135,000. Anybody ready to go? <laughs> Anybody ready to march into battle with those odds, with a trumpet and a torch? See, that's all that God needed. That's all he needed. See, this is about obedience and faith. So at the proper time, at the proper time, all they needed to do was what? Let the light shine. That's all they needed to do. They blew the trumpets, they sounded the call, they broke the jars, and they let the light shine. When did this take place? At midnight, in the midst of darkness, against all odds. And it was enough for God to say, okay, by your obedience and faith in what I called you to do, he took 135,000 Midianites, confused them, they got scared. Probably anybody ever woke up from a deep sleep with a, a loud sound or something going on? You don't know what's going on. And they started to attack each other and kill each other thinking they were being attacked. And God was able to defeat this army with 300 with trumpets and torches. See, this is about obedience and faith. When we have fear of the unknown or the outcome of uncertain circumstances... We need to have faith and obedience, period. But remember what Gideon did before. So allow God to encourage you by his promises of future glory, which he has given us, hasn't he? Jesus is coming again. And if your name is in the book of life, he has promised everlasting life. That is a promise. So we trust that promise. And we do what he calls us to do. But J. Paul Tanner would say that God must bring us, his servants, to a moment when all human confidence is stripped away. And he sits silently in humble adoration of his God as the one who is totally sufficient against all odds to accomplish his divine will. Then, and only then, he is ready to move forward to taste God's victory, though that victory is no more secure or certain than it was before. See, that's the whole point. God is saying, go and fight this battle of faith. Walk into uncertain circumstances in the midst of a dark world. As long as you have light and you're obedient, you have faith. I've given you victory already. So before that victory is won, like Gideon, we can worship. We can trust in the Lord. So I know we're talking military tactics and craziness, but think about it from your perspective. What are you battling? What are you up against today? What's going on in your life? At work, at home, at school? What seems uncertain, the unknown that you're afraid of, unsure of. 
what you have with you to give you the confidence to go into battle anyways. See, every day we're to step into the battlefield. That's what Ephesians 6 is all about. That's why God tells us to put on the full armor of God. You think the world would say, you're going to take that into battle? Yeah, because it's the promise of God. So although it may not be a ram's horn, a torch, and a jar, it's the belt of truth. And who is truth? It's Jesus. It's the breastplate of righteousness. Only those redeemed by the blood of Jesus can stand righteous. Your shoes, the gospel of peace, the peace that can only come from Jesus. The shield of faith in Jesus, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts that the enemy is going to throw at you every day. How about the helmet of salvation, the gift of God through his son Jesus, and the sword of the spirit, the word of God, who is Jesus, according to John 1.1. 1, 1. Right? So what do we need to have with us as we step in to the battlefield every day at work, at home, at school, out in public? We need to have Jesus in every way. That's why we've been talking about making sure we sit in the radiant glory of his light and let that fill us. Because that's all that we need when we walk into uncertain circumstances. And let that light shine just like the 300 did. That's what we need to do. Story number two. Turn to the New Testament and go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Similar, different kind of battle readiness, but the same outcome. So we talked about being battle ready. Weapons check. Do you have your light? Now, we need to remain ready and waiting. Remain ready and waiting. If you're in Matthew chapter 25, let's read verses 1 through 13 together, and we'll talk about this and how this connects. It says in verse 1, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore. For you know neither the day nor the hour. So what's going on here in this parable that Jesus is telling? Number one, we are the bride. Those of us in Christ are his bride. 
he is the groom. See, in that day, back in Jesus' time, there was various aspects to a wedding ceremony and a wedding process, just like there is today, but a little bit different in that day. In that day, there were multiple aspects. In this case, the bride and the groom had already been betrothed. They had already gone through the wedding ceremony. And in that day, the bride would go to her house and wait for the, bride, the groom to come and get her from her house Take her to his house where the marriage becomes official. There were no certificates in that day. It was just, that was the process. So basically where we pick up in this story is all that's taken place. And now the bride and the guests are waiting for the groom to arrive. So what is Jesus really talking about? The wedding has already taken place. We're already married and now we just wait for him to come back and get us. See what he's talking about? The end times. But in this case, five of these virgins represent wise believers. Five represent foolish believers, or even you could read it as unbelievers. See, the five wise ones knew that the groom was coming and he could arrive any moment. But not knowing if he was going to arrive immediately or if there was going to be a time in between his coming, they took what they needed to make sure they were ready. They took extra oil for their lamp. Now, I know that may not make a lot of sense to us, but see, nowadays we have things like this. But if we're not prepared, the light's not going to come on. What needs to be inside? Those of you that know, what feeds this? Butane, the gas. Because if we have enough, we're ready. Make sense? See, it's not this. See, the foolish, they had their lamps, but they didn't bring what was necessary to be ready. Because the bridegroom could come at any moment. And in this case, when did he come? At midnight, in the dark. You know, they could have had something ready to go, but he could have come in the daytime and it wouldn't have been necessary. But that's okay. Were they still ready? Absolutely. But he came, according to the parable, at midnight. So they could easily wake up, be ready, and find their way. The foolish... They didn't have what they needed. They weren't ready. See, the oil inside this lamp or the, the butane for our lighters today could represent the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in us always. That's why Scripture constantly tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a continual filling which means what? That if we feel like we have enough and we just go about our day and don't continue to fill ourselves with what is needed, what's going to happen? We're going to dry out. And then the vessel becomes what? Like that bulb that wouldn't light. Like that candle that wouldn't light. What do we do with that? Don't need it anymore. But if we fill ourselves with the things that we need inside, the Holy Spirit, 
and we're ready and waiting. Jesus could come back any moment and we need to be ready. We can't just rest on our laurels. We can't just say, well, I gave my life to Christ 10 years ago. Haven't done anything with him since, but I'll, I'm okay. I'm, I'm ready to go. Are you? See, God, Jesus is saying you're not. We have to constantly be ready because you never know when God is going to call you to speak up for him, to act for him, to do something for his kingdom. Just like Gideon and his army, they had their lives, they were ready to go. Because <coughs> Gideon told them, when I break my jar, when I cry out, when I blow my trumpet, that's when you break your jars and let your light shine. See, Jesus could call on us at any moment to do something and we need to be ready. That's why every day, like that solar light, we place ourselves in a position to constantly receive his glory, the spirit of Christ. Whether it's we're constantly in the Bible, we're constantly gathering together to be encouraged by other believers. We're constantly walking in the light and ready at any given moment to speak the truth of Jesus to somebody that might be ready to hear. And you never know when he may call on you. And if you're not filling yourself constantly with the Spirit of God, how are you going to be able to hear His voice when He calls? <coughs> you're not going to be ready. So let me make something very clear. All ten of these versions in this parable, they fell asleep. That's okay. Let's not read into that because everybody needs sleep. It wasn't that they fell asleep. It was that they weren't ready. The five weren't ready. The light of Christ and the Holy Spirit to guide us wherever we go at any moment. Here's the deal. We're not guaranteed anything in this world. I know you know that. I'm going to say it anyways. We're not guaranteed anything in this world except what God promises us. See, in this case, Jesus is returning. But it's not up to us to know when. Jesus spoke those words himself. You don't know the day. You don't know the hour. What would you do? How would you respond if you knew? <coughs> Nothing. Oh, I know when he's coming back. I'm good. I'll just sit and wait for that time to come. See, and this is our message to the foolish believers, those who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but it's really just nominal because their life doesn't represent what they say they believe. It's to the unbeliever who says, you better get ready. Jesus could come back in one minute. He could come back in 1,000 years. You don't know. It doesn't matter. Get ready. Be ready. Stay ready. And arm yourself properly with what you need. Warren Wiersbe said, The church has known for 2,000 years that Jesus is coming again, and yet many believers have become lethargic and drowsy. They are no longer excited about the soon coming of the Lord. See, the church should be holding forth the word of life in this dark and wicked world. That's who we need to be. We need to be excited. We know he's coming back. He's promised us victory. Like Gideon, we should be worshiping constantly, filling ourselves with the Holy Spirit. Ready to go. So I Psalm 119, 105 is such a great portion of scripture. Like the armor of God 
so is the word of God. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Have that light with you always so you see where you're going. You know where you're going and it help others along as they go. In Psalm 119, verse 130, it says, The unfolding of your words gives light. So a lot of people ask, well, how do I fill myself with the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? Get into the Word of God. It just says it right there. It unfolds the words and gives light. The more you're in it, the more you're filled. You see? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. Open the Word. Open Jesus. Read. Reflect on it. Take it in and let that fill you so you're constantly ready. So that's the question. What do you do in order to keep the fire burning? You've got to be ready. Always. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have, Jesus says. Hold fast to what you have. What do you have? What do you have? You have the word. You have the spirit. You have his promise. He's saying hold fast to that so that no one may seize your crown. So think about, the, here we are, the end of the year, as, as Joe was saying, just a couple more weeks, and we're into a new year, and we are praying, and Lord willing, it is a better year than the one before. That's our, always our prayer, right? If you guys are ones to make resolutions, you're looking forward to this year, but in this time right now, with two more weeks or so left, what do we tend to do? Kind of look back, don't we? We reflect a little bit. What have you done or what could you have done better? A lot of us ask. So that's what we can ask now. What do you need to do in order to keep the fire burning? Do you have enough oil to keep going? What changes can you make now in preparation for the upcoming new year? See again, like this, like this lighter. Is this alone by itself valuable? By itself, no. It's what's inside that gives it value. Make sense? Anybody ever have a garage sale? And you go to a garage sale and you maybe see a radio or you see something or maybe you, you needed a new uh, DVD player at one time and they had one. What's the typical question that you would ask? Does it work? <laughs> Does it work? If I plug it in, will it turn on and play the movie? See, you could look at that DVD player and go, oh, I need one. Take it home and it doesn't work because it doesn't have the proper components inside. The cord is broken. You plug it in. It's not going to receive the electricity it needs to work properly. So it's the value of what's inside of us that matters. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5-7 through seven. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness 
has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in what? Jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. See, our vessel is wasting away. Our vessel is just a, a clay jar. But let me ask you a question. How important was that clay jar to Gideon's army? Had they just started to march up with their lights burning already, the enemy could have seen them coming. So that light was veiled for a moment. That jar had a purpose until it was ready to unveil and shine that light. You see what we're saying? See, our value is determined by what's inside of us, the light of the gospel, the wisdom of God. Matthew 13, says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to purchase the field. See, that man is Jesus Christ. He saw this world and he purchased it with his own blood. He gave up his heavenly glory. And he came down and he purchased us because we were that treasure that he saw saying, I want you. And I'm going to purchase everything with my blood and purchase you. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, you were bought with a price. We are valuable to Christ. We are the subjects of God's kingdom. God sent his son into the world to purchase our lives through his atoning sacrifice. Without the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, we have no hope of forgiveness. We have no hope of salvation. He purchased our life through the shedding of his blood. We need to accept that gift of salvation. His purchase is our reward. That parable goes on in Matthew 13, 45 and 46. says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now you could read this, par this parable just like the other one, but we can also read it this way, that we are the ones that found that one pearl of great value in Jesus Christ. So what do we need to do also? We need to give up what we think has value in this world, get rid of it, and give our all to Jesus Christ because he is worth so much. He is eternity. He is everything. We have to sacrifice a lot to submit to his lordship in our life. See, Jesus said in Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, we could look at that and say our treasure is Jesus Christ. And what does Jesus Christ do when we accept him into our life and submit our life to him? He comes into us. Therefore, where our treasure is inside of us, there our heart is also. See, Jesus even said the same thing. I value you so much in who you are that I'm going to come and take up residence inside of you and live with you and be the light that you need in that jar of clay and let myself shine through you. And in that, you are immensely valuable. This is exactly why the Apostle Paul would say these words to Pastor Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul would say this, For this reason, now listen and connect this to what we talked about this morning. 
For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. If we jump down to verse 14, Paul says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard what you have inside of you. Take care of it. Take it with you. Refill yourself with it, which is the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the knowledge of God. And in that, you'll have victory no matter where you go, what you do. Let me remind us really quick from our study through the book of Acts. How was the Holy Spirit visually present when he came into the disciples' lives at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? One, that enveloping sound of wind that filled the entire room. The entire presence was felt and was heard, but also it represented himself in which way? Like little flames of fire that rested on each one. See, that power, that fire we need. Paul is saying to us, fan it, keep it going. If you're familiar with General Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, he at one point sent a message to those under him. He said, the tendency of fire is to go out. Remember, we talked about that match. You light the match, it'll burn, but what will happen? It'll eventually consume itself. Since the tendency of fire is to go out, watch the fire on the altar of your heart, he said. And do what? See, anyone who has tended a fireplace knows that what do you need to do to keep that fire going? You need to stoke the flame. You need to turn it over. And then that, you'll get that heat. You'll get that fire. You'll get that light that you need. So I know we talked about a lot today. Light, fire, Christmas lights, candles, warfare, kind of all over the map. But let me sum it up in three ways for you. Number one, when we talked about Gideon, we need to be battle ready. Be battle ready. Because you're going to step on the battlefield every single day when God wakes you up and you leave your home. And even inside your home might be your battlefield. We need to be battle ready. Have what you need, the light of Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit with you. Number two, you need to remain ready. Like the parable of those ten virgins, the five wise, you need to remain ready. Like the solar light we talked about, continually placing yourself in the light of Jesus Christ. Have the oil for your lamp. You guys remember that old Sunday school song? Give me oil for my lamp, keep it burning, burning, burning. You guys remember that song? Give me oil for my lamp, I pray. Hallelujah. You don't remember, anybody remember that song? Is that just me? Goofy? Old, old back in the... Okay. But anyways, I'm going to stop singing. Remain ready. Have the oil. Have the batteries. Have the, the, the butane. Have the electrical charge. Out of whatever, you, whatever terms you want to put it in. Plug in. Fill up. Do what you need to do. Be ready. Remain ready. And then finally, number three understand the importance and value of what is inside of you understand the importance and value 
of what's inside of you and how God sees you right here, right now. He loved you so much. He sent his only son to purchase your life and to put his very spirit inside of you. So to close out today, let me remind us of three scriptures that we've read throughout this series. Number one, what do we read today? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5-7. through seven. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, he shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. All right, just like Gideon's army, breaking that jar, revealing the light. Sometimes we need to be broken in a special way, in the right way, to let our light shine. We also read John chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. It says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And it never will. And what have we closed every message with the past three weeks? Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Can we read it together out loud? Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And to that we can say, Amen. Amen. Let's pray.